think I'm a fool? I didn't think so. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this before. I think you just said something. Think, 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 think. Based on the music, you know what this means. It is time to get your brain thinking. Hello, my name is Michael, and I've come to you today to tell you that just when you think it's good, it isn't. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, remember, we are looking at our worldview foundations, our, our, our anchors that will hold within the veil as we try to traverse the storms and general lunacy of the world around us. We are doing this by looking through Scripture. So you have looked in Genesis, you have seen who God is and how he has revealed himself to humanity, who we are in relation to him, and now we are taking that knowledge and using that as the grid through which we are reading the rest of the Bible. (coughs) The reason this is so important is if you do not get the foundation properly aligned, the building has no hope. You know it, I know it, everybody knows it. What we have in the world is not a failure to communicate. It is a failure to assimilate and understand biblical teaching properly. Hopefully, again, hopefully here, what we are doing with this is getting you to think God's thoughts after him, meaning you read his revelation, you read his word, and you are thinking through what he is explaining based on not who you are as the chief of creation, but who he is and how you relate to that. So we are now getting into the meat of the hysterical books of the Old Testament. We are going through the historical narrative now. We are past the Pentateuch, so we are through the five books of Moses. And yes, I am one of those people that Moses wrote to the five books of Moses, the Pentateuch, the Torah, however you would like to phrase it. We are now moving into the history. This is important because you have to remember it is history meaning there is very little here that is jumping off the page at you and saying, hey, do this, hey, don't do that. Instead, you get examples of how people are living, and we have to see what they are doing, see how they're doing it, and determine whether or not they did it rightly or wrongly. This is a tremendous exercise in testing and standing firm in your foundations. So, let us begin. It came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. I just like how God rips the band-aid off right there. We're not even going to beat around the bush. He has not passed on. He is no longer no more. He is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Stop right there. This is an example of your foundations in action. God who is the preserver of his people, not Moses. God who is the savior and deliverer of this people, not Moses. God who is faithful towards this people, not Moses. God who will accomplish the promises given to this people, not Moses. Moses is a great guy. Look, You'd probably be happy if he married your daughter. You'd probably be happy if he ran for public office. But he is not, was not, and never shall be God. Therefore, we look for something higher and beyond him. We pointed this out as we went through the life of Moses. He's a deliverer. He is not the deliverer. He is a lawgiver. 
He is not the lawgiver. He is a prophet. He is not the prophet. He is pointing to the one who will fulfill all of these things and will be the end-all, be-all. Dare I say, the alpha and omega of these things. Now that he is gone, talking about Moses, it is someone else's turn to stand in the gap, to be used of God for the accomplishing of his promises and his purposes. That person is Joshua. So, every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, notice this, just as I spoke to Moses. Meaning, the work being done here, always remember this, we're building a chain here, and we are basically, if you want to think about it rightly, we are dangling from this chain. Joshua's work is going to be done because of the promises given to Israel during the time of Moses. Realize, though, that Moses' work is a link in the chain. The work that Moses is doing on behalf of Israel is because of the promises given to Jacob through Joseph to the sons. The work in Jacob's life is because of the promises given to Isaac. The work in Isaac's life because of the promises given to Abraham. The work in Abraham's life because of the promises given to Noah. Go back from Noah. You get the lineage of Genesis 5. Go all the way back to Seth. Go all the way back to the garden. These are all links in the chain that connect us back to the redemptive work of God. The restoring, salvific, the Savior foundation at work. Joshua is not doing some new thing. Is he doing a different thing from a worldly point of view? Yes, yes he is. We haven't really had full-scale battle from the people of God against the pagan nations. We're going to now. But that's not a new thing. That is an accomplishment by God on behalf of the people that he is preserving and sanctifying. So from the wilderness in this Lebanon... Even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. Remember that we're dealing somewhat here with a conditional thing. Will God preserve his people? Absolutely. Who are his people? Those who are sanctifying. Those who are persevering according to his commands, according to his promises. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. See, this is what we get messed up here. We mess up the law and the grace here because we mess up the foundation. We fail to understand that it is God who saves and God who accomplishes. So it is God who is persevering with this people. It is God who is being long-suffering. It is God who is accomplishing all of these things. Therefore, yes, those that are obedient are who God will grant success to. Why? 
because those are the ones that he is saving. Those are the ones that he is preserving in righteousness. Those are the ones that he is sanctifying. All those that are not persevering according to his commands are those he is preserving in judgment, as we saw with Cain and his family. It is those that he is not sanctifying, those that he is not saving, but those that he will pour out his wrath upon. The fruit is different because the starting point is different. This is why, Christian, we examine our lives. This is why we look with faithfulness upon what we are doing, because we have to evaluate ourselves honestly according to the commands of God, according to what He has told us we should look like. And if we are falling short, then we have to be willing to honestly say we have gone astray. And if we have continually gone astray, then we have to be wondering and saying, what is the core of my being? And if it is not Christ, then the call is to repent. And that is too part of the salvific and sanctifying work. The call to repentance is not a one-time thing. It is something we do continually. And you're seeing it here in Israel. You're going to see it here in Israel especially. Because Israel is a mixed multitude. There are within this nation that has been set apart by God. There are those that will persevere to the end and those who will fall away. How will we know who's who and what's what? The fruit will be borne out. So Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, Prepare provisions for yourself, for within three days you are to cross this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess it. So, we're ready. Joshua's in. All right, we're going over. We're taking the land. All right, why can Joshua be like this? Because Joshua knows who will accomplish these things. God has promised. God will deliver. Just as God promised to take us out of the land of Egypt, and he did. Just as God promises victory in the wilderness, and he provided it. Just as God showed us this land, and it was good. Remember, two faithful spies returned, Joshua and Caleb. Who's in charge? Joshua. Caleb will come later. So Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men as spies secretly, in, uh, secretly from Shittim, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. Now, why do we send the spies in? Give Israel the opportunity to succeed where it has previously failed. Pick good men. This is the second chance, part of the, the persevering, long-suffering work of God, is to let this people demonstrate who they are in his face. So they went, came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. By the way, for those of you not familiar with the NASB, a harlot is a prostitute, a lady of the evening, okay? A home of ill repute. So they're staying there. Why? Because the least of these, the lowly of the city, those who are cast down, those who know their iniquity, those who know their weaknesses before God, are typically the ones who respond the best to him and his people. You'll see this directly in the New Testament. This is the complaint of the Pharisees, right? Why do you eat with sinners? Well, because one, there's no other type of people, but two, that's who I'm here for. I'm here for sinners. Just so happens that when the society has cast you out, you're typically more aware of your faults and foibles. When you have failed is typically when you realize that you are not great at things. This is why we don't like that person who's never had any failure or problems in his life. You know, the one who's born on third but thinks he hit a triple. Everything's been given to him. He's always been awesome. Because he's never failed, he's insufferable because he doesn't think he can fail. Therefore, he's reckless. Therefore, he's not cautious, and therefore he thinks that he is good and you are bad because you have failed and he is not. See, Christian living turns that upside down and says, no, you're not good because you've succeeded. 
You're good because Christ has succeeded. And those who have been kicked in the teeth the most by life are the most brutally aware of how bad they actually are at this. You see this throughout the New Testament, and you see this throughout the Old Testament if you're paying attention. So she hides them, and in return for her hiding them and sending the people of Jericho on a wild goose chase trying to find them, she is set aside. Her home and her family will not be destroyed in the judgment of God. Why not? What separates Rahab from the rest of the Jerichoites? Jerichoites, however you want to say it. The residents of Jericho. Faith. An understanding that God is Savior and Judge. An understanding that her trust in Yahweh of King of Creation to be the one to preserve her and to sanctify and rescue her is what separates her from her fellow citizens. Therefore, she works in concert with his people. Therefore, she is his people, and no harm may befall her. So, Joshua rose early in the morning, we're at chapter 3, and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan. They lodged there before they crossed. At the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God with the, with the Levitical priests carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. And then the distance. So they consecrate themselves and they travel. So when the people sent out from tents to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and when those who carried the Ark came into the Jordan, and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark were dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks all the days of the harvest. So we're at flood stage here. The waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap a great distance away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon, and those which were flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah. The salt sea were completely cut off, so the people crossed opposite Jericho. And the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. Why? Because this is a lesson. It's a reminder. Now, what should you immediately be thinking of? The water stopped and we went through in the midst of dry ground. Well, that's right. You should immediately think of the Red Sea. You should be thinking of the Exodus. What was the Exodus for Israel? It was their redemption. It was their rescue. Their setting apart of, by God of them as his people for salvation. A judgment upon the sins of Egypt. A judgment upon the sins of any of the people. And a redeeming and rescuing. They have then been given the law and preserved by God so that they would be what? So that they would be sanctified, holy, and set apart a people for God's own possession. That's what Exodus, those, the laws of Exodus and the work of Leviticus are about. Deuteronomy is about Moses entreating the people to walk in such a manner. Why? Because if they don't, what will befall them? The plagues of Egypt, the judgment, the God who has preserved them thus far will have preserved them and secured them in their judgment, just as he did with Egypt, just as he did with Pharaoh, just as he did with Cain and that whole family line. You can see that here. Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry about that. So God, being faithful, calling his people, <coughs> reminding them of his past work, and demonstrating that the same God of the Exodus... Oh, hold on. <coughs> 
Oh, that water went down the wrong way. The same God of the Exodus who redeemed that people and brought them through is the same God of the conquest. The same God of Israel then is the same Yahweh of Israel now. He has not changed. He has not diminished. And that is good news because he is the creator. That's what the book of Moses is supposed to be teaching you. That's where we got those foundations from. He is the one who upholds all things, and he is the one who alone who has the power to save and to judge. He has been and will remain faithful. This is a demonstration of it. That's why chapter 4, when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, take for yourselves 12 men from the people, each man from his tribe. Command them saying, take up for yourselves 12 stones here out of the middle of the Jordan from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm and carry them over with you and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge. Now, why? Let this be a sign among you that when your children ask later saying, what do these mean to you? Then you shall say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. In other words, you need to be reminded of the faithfulness of God. Why? Because there's going to come a day when this world will tempt you, this world will drag you, and this world will pull you in a direction you do not want to go. And the thing that you must remember is that there is a faithful Savior who is working on behalf of his people. Do not walk that way because there is a better way to walk. Or as Moses said, choose life this day. Walk faithfully in his statutes. Teach them. Proclaim them. Be reminded of them so that when the world tempts you, I know my hope, I know my anchor, and I will stand firm. That's why these stones are here. This is a continual thing. You've seen this from Abraham, building altars, making sacrifice, traveling. You saw this with Joseph. Keep my bones. Those bones were to be a reminder that God will be faithful to his promises. He has been and he will be. Because you don't forget, they're still carrying that around, by the way. You know, Joseph's still along for the ride. So it came about when all the kings of the Amorites who were behind the, beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the sons of Israel had crossed, their hearts melted just as God had promised. And there was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. So Israel will be circumcised. That's what's going on next. They will keep their covenant, marking themselves as God's people. Why hadn't they done it before? Because they were wandering. They weren't settled. They weren't the obedient people of God. But now, as God has brought them into the land, they are to be set apart as his people. So they are making that declaration, saying, no, 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 we are God's people. We are the ones he has preserved, the ones that he has saved, and the ones that he has sanctified. We will be that people. So you get to chapter 6. Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. <laughs> no one went out and no one came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the valiant warriors. You shall march around the city, all the men of war circling the city once, and you shall do so for six days. Also seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And it shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up every man straight ahead. And it was. Now, where did Rahab live again? In an apartment on the city wall. What's going to get torn down? 
the city wall. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the harlot's house and bring the woman and all she has out of there, that, I'm sorry, out of there as you have sworn to her. So the young men who were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all she had. They also brought out all her relatives and placed them outside the camp of Israel. They burned the city with fire, all that was in it. Rahab's house doesn't fall down. Why? Because God is precise and he is patient. So he can tear down the city walls of Jericho, destroy them so the sons of Israel may pour in while leaving Rahab's portion of the wall and her home untouched. Why? Because he's got that kind of power. Because he's the creator, he's the sustainer, and he is the judge. Now, if you're Israel, if there's ever a point that you should know all of these things and you should walk in faithfulness, it's now, right? Hmm... But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out that land. So the men went up and spied out Ai. They returned Joshua and said, Do not let all the people go up. Only about two or three thousand men need to go up. Need to go up to Ai. Do not make all the people to uh, toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men from the people went up there, but they fled from the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men and pursued them from the gate as far as Shabarim and struck them down on the descent. So the hearts of the people melted and became as water. In other words, Israel was proud and Israel was sinful. Notice who he didn't ask about how we should go in battle. I mean, who, who gave us Jericho? God did. Who determined how we took Jericho? God did. Who should we be asking about how we take Ai? God. Who didn't we ask? God, we consulted the spies, and look, they might have been right, but a people under judgment can't win because the preservation of God will not abide for them for victory. It will only abide for judgment. So the people must be cleansed. Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel nearby tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And you know how this goes. Eventually pick Achan. He said, I implore you to give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. So Achan answered Joshua and said, Truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar and about 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran into the tent, and behold, it was concealed in his tent with the silver underneath. They took them from inside the tent and brought them to Joshua and all the sons of Israel, and they poured them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, and his oxen, his donkeys and sheep, his tent and all that belonged to him, and they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua says, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned them with stones, and they burned them with fire after. They had stoned them with stones. They raised over them a great heap of stones that stands to this day, and the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the valley of Achor to this day. In other words, judgment was enacted. Why? Because sin had occurred. And there are consequences to your sin. Christian, this is why your life does not go perfectly all the time. Because you sin. And there are consequences to your sin. And I'll even do you one better. Gun to my head? I won't be surprised if you see Achan in heaven. Why? Because he admitted. And he was sorrowful. Now, I don't know if he cries out to God in repentance and faith. I'm not told that in Scripture. I hope so, because I truly believe if he did, while Israel would still judge him, and while Israel would still stone him to death, he would stand with God in eternity with no fear. And Achan could face that with no fear, because God is his shepherd. God is his savior. And while there are consequences for your actions, there is an eternal redemption afoot. That's a good reminder for us, because we are broken, 
And our God is a God of second chances for his people who are faithful and return to him. That's what being faithful is, is a returning to God in a war against sin. So the Lord said to Joshua, do not, be, do not fear, do not be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise and go to Ai. See, I have given it into your hand. The king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king just as you did to Jericho and its king. You shall take only its spoil and its cattle as plunder for yourselves. Set an ambush for the city behind it. And it was. Now again, though, you'll see the problem of Israel. Gibeonites show up. They disguise themselves, act like they've been on a long journey, show up, and Israel doesn't consult God and makes a treaty with them. Why? Because when you forget God, you do dumb things. And what's the rule, children? That's right. Don't do dumb things. That rule is always in effect from now and forevermore. Don't do it. Not going to do it. Wouldn't be prudent. Not going to do it. So you see the problems with Israel, and this is going to be the problem of humanity down through the ages, even to this day, is despite God's great faithfulness, despite his great provision, we are busted and we are broken by sin. This is why we need a better deliverer than Moses. This is why we need a better king than David. This is why we need a better sacrifice than a lamb. We need a sacrifice of the lamb, the final, complete, holy sacrifice. Because even in the midst of this, though, you see the patience of God. They conquer southern areas. They take away the kings of the, uh, of the area. The northern area uh, territories are taken. Their list of kings in Joshua 12. And then you get into the division. So they start dividing the land up by tribes. You get Caleb requesting. Caleb's my man here. He's 80-something years old, and he's like, uh, hang on, i got to find it. Moses swore on that day, surely the land in which your foot has trodden will be an inheritance to you and your children forever, because you have followed my, the Lord my God faithfully. Now behold, the Lord has let me live just as he spoke these 45 years, from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness. Now behold, I am 85 years old today, and I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me, as my strength was then, so my strength is now, for war and for going out and coming in. Now then, give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke of on that day, for you have heard on that day that the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me and I will drive them out as the Lord has blessed. Or so as the Lord has spoken. So Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, until this day, because he followed the Lord God of Israel fully. The name of for Hebron was formerly Kiriath Arba, for Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. Then the land had rest from war. I love that. Caleb's like, I'm 85 years old. I'm going to go whoop up on some giants if you're good with that, because that's what God's promised me. And it was... So then you get the division. Judah's tribe, territory, 15. Ephraim in 16. Manasseh in 17. The, the land's divided. You get Benjamin in 18. Simeon, Zebulun, Issachar, Asher, Naphtali, Dan in 19. The cities of refuge set aside for chapter 20. The cities of the Levites in 21, just as Moses commanded them. The tribes beyond the Jordan get to go home because they have already been given their land and chosen. They've gone to war. They've done what they were supposed to do. There were concerns about an altar, and the altar is there. Why? So the tribes beyond the Jordan will be reminded, and the people on the other side of the Jordan will be reminded that the tribes beyond the Jordan are Israel. It's not there for us, so we'll have false worship. It's not there for idolatry. It's there so you'll remember that we are your brothers, that we are your people. And even though we do not live on the same side, we are always with God on the same side. So Joshua gets to leave them with parting words. He reviews the history and everything that's gone on. And what's the key there? Therefore, 
They'll serve the Lord, I'm sorry, fear the Lord and serve him with sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your forefathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it's disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, then choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers worshipped and served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Catch this. The people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our forefathers up from the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage, and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us through all the way in which we went and among all the peoples through whose midst we passed. The Lord drove out from before us the peoples, even the Amorites who lived in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is God. He is the Creator. He is the preserver and sustainer. He is the savior of his people and the judge of his enemies. He will be faithful in both accounts, and he will accomplish his purposes and will sanctify his people. You can see that in Joshua. And this is kind of a high watermark for Israel. I mean, we're doing as well as we've ever done since leaving Egypt. I got bad news for you. It's not going to last. But that is for another book. As you read these things... Read them with your foundations in mind so that you keep the story of all of Scripture in mind. You want to understand how Joshua fits into everything else? Understand who God is and what he is doing for his people and for not his people, or maybe I should say to not his people, because it will matter. All right. What have we learned here today, children? People are going to sin. God is going to judge that sin, but God's people have nothing to fear. That even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of judgment, even in the midst of our disobedience, if we are God's, he will preserve us to the end. Questions, comments, complaints, send them to info at practicaltheologyministries.com. There you can find links to whatever it is you want, send us contact information, however you want to do all that good stuff. You know the drill, you know it's there. We appreciate it. Plan is tomorrow to get back together to go through our second part of our SBC annual meeting review, looking at the workings of what's going on in regards to pulpits and abuse and accountability, things that should be on the forefront of Christians' mind whenever sin rears its ugly head, is how do we kill it and deal with it. So that'll be tomorrow. Lou is planning on being there, so it should be a packed house. If not, we will make it work. So until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good.